Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 here this morning. I can just add to what Pastor said. Some of my most sacred, um, precious memories from my time in college um, are prayer meetings. And some of those moments where God did the deepest work in my heart, I look back to them and uh, think of them often. And the truth that God made real to me, the areas of my life He showed to me, and uh, not just in college, but then since then, uh, certainly prayer meetings have been a pivotal, pivotal part of my life. So I encourage you, uh, say, Lord, would you not just show up, but Lord, would you do something in me and then do something through me uh, through that time of prayer? And the Lord will certainly, uh, he loves to answer those kinds of prayers. And so I trust that we'll have heart to meet with God uh, this, this weekend. It was April 30th, 1975, and Buang Lee was a dead man. And he knew it. He was a major in the South Vietnamese Air Force, and he was certain to be killed as the North closed in. Saigon was falling. Americans, America's troops were withdrawing by a helicopter evacuation. But in their plans, the American military hadn't, hadn't considered or counted on the thousands of Vietnamese soldiers who had been their allies there that there would need to be something for them. And so they were literally left to face their doom. And uh, Buang Lee, knowing this, was not willing to let not just himself, but his family be persecuted. He knew if the North got a hold of his family, got a hold of them, it would be torture and then death. And so he said, I have to do something. And so he, he was there on the airfield and he found a two-seater Cessna plane. And he found a way to hotwire that plane, get it running, and climbed in with his wife and five children and took off over the open sea. Well, out in that sea, on the USS Midway, Rear Admiral Larry Chambers was awaiting for the arrival of helicopters with, military, uh, with, with evacuees from the American military base. Just a few weeks prior to this, he had been made the first African-American in Navy history to command an aircraft carrier, and this was his first mission. As he stood there on the deck awaiting for these helicopters, he saw a tiny speck appear on the horizon like he had seen many times already that day. But as it approached, he realized it wasn't a helicopter. He looked closer and, and then soon recognized it was a Cessna plane. And that plane took, took off and was, was heading straight towards them. And then that tiny dot got bigger and then began to circle the aircraft carrier, passing lower and lower. Well, the admiral was surprised. He, he, so he, they weren't expecting any planes. Uh, this was not part of, the, part of the plan, part of the procedure. And so they watched as this plane literally circled until they could see the people in, through the windows inside. And they could see that, that there was four, maybe five, crammed into this tiny, tiny aircraft. As they watched, it circled. The lowest, lowest pass came, and then something dropped out of the window onto the deck. They went over and picked it up, and there it was, a pistol wrapped in a note that read, Can you move the helicopter to the other side? I can land on your runway. I can only fly for about one hour more before we run out of fuel. We have enough time to move. Please rescue me, Major Buang, wife, and five child. Admiral Chambers was stunned. There was no way that this pilot could have known where the midway would be. 
So he must have simply just loaded up his family and headed out into the out and blindly into the sea, hoping to find some kind of rescue, or figuring that at least to crash and die in the sea would be far better than what would happen to them if the Vietnamese got a hold of them. Inspired by this bold act of desperate courage, he commanded his men to clear the deck. He knew that there was no way Buang could ditch the plane into the ocean and, and escape in a water rescue of some kind. That they just wouldn't be able to get all of the children out of the plane in time. So there was no other choice. The plane would have to land on the midway's deck. Move every arresting wire, he said. Clear every helicopter. His commands rang out. The crew sprang into action. But time was running short. There was much to do in order to make this possible. And now they only had a few minutes before the plane would run out of fuel. And a few of the helicopters, they just couldn't get moved in time. So Admiral Chambers gave the most controversial order of his entire career. Push them overboard, he said. He was sure he'd be court-martialed for this. But he knew that saving this family's life was more important than his career. His crew didn't think twice about it. They obeyed. They pushed a total of five helicopters into the sea, clearing space for Boeing to land the plane. But the question was, would he be able to do it? The plane circled one final time, and Chambers gritted his teeth as that tiny plane lined up on that, that runway and approached the deck. The landing gear came down as, as Boeing came into his final descent. The plane hit the deck, bounced once, and came to a gentle stop. The entire crew cheered, a perfect landing. And Boeing and his family were saved that day. Wow, an extraordinary rescue on so many accounts. An amazing story, certainly. But because of a desperate cry for rescue from a father and a commander who is willing to say, I will rescue them no matter what the cost, that family is alive today. Let's see here in Luke chapter 5, another desperate cry. And another one willing to rescue. Luke chapter 5 and verse number 12. This is near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just called his disciples. It says, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. See, here we see in this simple passage, it's such a short account, but yet so much packed into it. This simple reality that I want to remind us of, young people, this morning, and I don't know why God wants me to preach this message this morning, but he, he hasn't let me get away from it. Jesus always says, I will, to a desperate cry for cleansing. Jesus always says, I will, to a desperate cry for cleansing. I want you to notice first here in our text an incurable problem. An incurable problem. 
You see, we read here, Jesus, is, he's, he's traveling, and he comes to a certain city, and it's almost as if it, says, it stops and says, Behold. Look at this. Do you see what I see? A man full of leprosy. Leprosy. Well, this incurable problem was a defiling problem. Leprosy is an incurable, highly contagious disease. It began as small sores on the body that grew and spread and ate away at the flesh, sometimes destroying entire limbs and organs before it finally snuffed the life out. It was greatly feared, and nobody wanted to be anywhere near it. In fact, it said that any time that a person would come in close proximity to someone who was a leper, it was their responsibility, their obligation to cry out, unclean, 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 so that people wouldn't get too close, so they would know that he was defiled. Friends, this is what sin does. It defiles. Anger defiles. Moral impurity defiles. A critical spirit defiles. Rebellion defiles. Lust defiles. Theft defiles. Unbelief defiles. Secrecy, lying defiles. It's what sin does. Perhaps though you're not saying it on the outside, you know you're defiled within. You know the defeat, the mockery, of that sin hidden within your heart that cries out in your ears day and night, unclean. Unclean. I know what it means to be defiled. Unclean. Even as a child of God. As a teenager, I was saved, called to preach, planning to serve God with my life. But I was trapped. Defiled. By the strong cords of a hidden struggle with pornography. I hated it. I despised it. But I felt trapped and I knew I was unclean. And that shame, that feeling of defilement, it only increased as I began to experience terrible nightmares I don't even want to describe. I would go to church. I'd sing in the choir. I'd play in the orchestra. I'd go out soul winning. And everyone would, would say, say, man, Joe has such a heart for God. And I did. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to be used of God. But all the while, I could hear the mocking shame of my hidden sin crying out, unclean. Unclean. Are you defiled today? Is there an area perhaps people know about it, perhaps they don't know about it, perhaps it's hidden within a habit, a stronghold in your life that you know, oh, it's just... It's there, unclean, I'm defiled. So what's the big deal? You see, this defiling problem leads to a distancing problem. A distancing problem. You have to realize this, this man as a leper, he couldn't go to synagogue. He didn't have a Bible to read. That was where they would go to hear the word of God. He, he couldn't go to synagogue. He couldn't go to the temple to offer a sacrifice. He was still under that sacrificial system. This was part of the relationship with God, to be able to have communion with God, to be able to, to have that, that fellowship. That was a part of it, the, the temple system. He couldn't even get close. He wasn't allowed in there, no. 
And so he, he, he felt distant from God. Child of God, you can be saved. You can know you're on your way to heaven, but feel like God is a million miles away, like he's distant. And praise God, he's not far off, but we can sure feel like he is. Because Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. A distancing problem, a distance from God, but not just that, distanced in other relationships as well. From those that he loved. This man couldn't live with his family, his wife, his children. No, he had to live alone outside the, outside the city. He, he couldn't spend time with them. If they came to see him, even if, even if that love was there, he came to see him, they couldn't get close. There was no warm embrace. There was always had to be, stay back. Don't get too close. And you know, young people, when we have sin hidden in our life, we've got to keep people back. We can't let somebody get too close. When we're not willing, when we've got this thing, we're harboring, we're holding on to it, and we say, I don't want anybody to know, we're holding, it, holding people off. Because what if they find out what's really going on inside? What if they find out how bitter I really am? What if they find out how, how angry I am inside? What if they find out about what I've been viewing or, or, or what I'm thinking? What if they find out about that relationship that's going on? And so you've got, you've got to keep them distant. It's a distancing problem. Not just a defiling problem, not just a distancing problem. Here we see it's a developed problem. It says here, behold a man full of leprosy. His body was, was covered with this. It wasn't just a few spots of leprosy beginning to develop. It wasn't, this was leprosy in its advanced stages. It was touching and defiling every part of his body. No doubt the appearance of this man was disgusting. If he pulled back his cloak to reveal his face, his arms, the gaping sores and decaying flesh would have made your stomach turn. Do you ever feel like that sinful habit in your life has such a stronghold? on you that you'll just never be free? Like it's so far gone that it sunk its teeth so deeply into you in the core of your being that you have no hope of ever loosening its grip? That's how this man was. A developed problem. I want you to see it's a deadly problem. The day was not far off for this man that this dreadful disease would take his very life. It wasn't a question of if he was going to die from this disease. The question was of how soon was he going to die from it. He had no ex expectation of living out a full life. Death was staring him in the face and he knew it. And we certainly understand that about sin when we talk about, we talk about the gospel to the saint, right? We understand physical death is the result of sin and the Bible speaks of, of eternal death in hell. We understand that. But do you realize that as a child of God, you can experience death too? A deadening of your relationship with God? A distancing from the lover of your soul? Well, it's not that God isn't there. It's not that you're not saved. But there is no real life to your relationship with him. Well, this is an incurable problem. 
This was, this was a big issue this man was facing, but I want you to notice now his desperate cry. A desperate cry. Behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Notice this was a cry of humility. He fell on his face. He used this term, Lord, Master, I'm putting myself in submission to you. A cry of humility. You see, this man knew that Jesus was his last chance. He knew that he couldn't cure himself. No matter how hard he tried to clean up his hygiene or or soothe the sores through medicines or ointment, there was nothing he could do to change the fact that he was already a leper. And so when he heard that Jesus was coming through, he didn't hold anything back. He didn't hold on to his self-sufficiency. He was willing to say, Jesus, you're in control here. I can't do anything to cleanse myself. If there's cleansing to be done, you are going to have to do all of it. You know what we call that? Surrender. Absolute, complete, total surrender. No more striving. No more fighting. No more grasping. Just throwing yourself on Jesus saying, all right, I'm done. I'm in your hands. I'm giving you full permission to do whatever needs to be done, no matter how painful it is, no matter how it affects me now or in the future, you're in charge of this. I just want to be clean. That's where this man was. Some of you know you can't cleanse yourself today. You can't loosen the hold of, of this sin, that habit on your life, that lust, that frustration, that deception, that depression, that escape. Or you've tried to handle on your own, but, but it just didn't, hasn't worked. Everything you've tried. I remember going to the altar time after time after time again, promising God I, I would change. I was vowing that I, I'm going to do better, just asking, would you just help me a little bit? And, and, and then I go right back to it again. Vowing myself, this is going to be the last time. I'm not going to do this. I'm done with it. Only to be quickly reminded that I was still powerless to follow through. Sound familiar? Your issue may not be what my issue was, but you know you can't free yourself. You can't free yourself from that stronghold. But I'm asking you this morning, are you willing, like this man, to admit it? Are you willing to admit it? Are you too proud to be honest about your need? Are you so self-sufficient that you're not willing to go to Jesus and say, I can't do this. I can't cleanse myself. I can't fix my problems. I need you to do it for me. Are you too concerned about what other people think about you to go to a brother or sister in Christ, to go to to someone in leadership and tell them, I've got this sinful habit that nobody knows about and I need help. Are you so untrusting of Jesus that you aren't willing to put your freedom into his hands because you're afraid of what that might mean? 
So you ask for his help, but you stop short of full surrender because you're not willing to trust him with your failure. I know that's where I was for a long time. But I'll never forget that night at a revival meeting at not even my own church. I had gone to another church and for a revival meeting. Dr. Jim was preaching. When I came to grips with this fact that I couldn't do this, I couldn't free myself. It was going to have to be all Jesus. Full surrender. So I went to the altar again that night. I did. But it was different this time. There's no promise to change. There was no vow to do better. I just got honest. Humble before God. I can't do this. I'm putting it in your hands. You're going to have to do it all. You are in charge of my freedom. Is that where you are today? And this leads right into the next aspect of this cry. We see it was, it was a cry of, of humility, but it was also a cry of desperation. You see, it says here, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him. That word literally means he begged him. He pled with him. You see, we don't know how long this man had been living in this state, but we do know this. He wasn't content to keep on living that way anymore. He, he was desperate. He said, I can't go on this way any longer. It doesn't matter what it takes. Something has to change. Friend, how much longer are you going to continue on as you are? Defiled. Distant. Dying from the inside out. What's it going to take to get you to that point where you, like this leper, are willing to say, I can't go on this way any longer. Jesus, it doesn't matter what it takes. I've got to have your cleansing. It's been said that you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Are you there yet? I can remember that night, as I came to that point, finally a, a full surrender, saying it doesn't matter what it takes, Lord. I'm willing to take whatever steps you tell me to take because you're in charge of this now. I've just got to have your cleansing. That was the moment everything changed. That was the moment that set me on a new trajectory to freedom and victory. You see, it was a cry of, of humility, a cry of desperation, but it was also a cry of faith. Do you notice that here? He besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You can make me clean. Though this man certainly wouldn't have known everything about who Jesus was, he clearly had somehow heard enough about Jesus for him to believe that Jesus was fully capable of healing him of his disease. I don't know that anybody else had been healed of leprosy prior to this. But, but for some reason, this man said, Jesus, you can do this. I know you can. Though he maybe didn't know everything about the character of Jesus, he did, he did know this, that Jesus could do what no one else could do. He could make a leper clean again. Can I ask you, do you believe that, friend? Oh, we say we do. 
yeah, there's no sin that Jesus can't cleanse. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's no, nothing that he can't give us victory. Jesus can give us victory over any sin in our life. Do you actually believe it? Or have you bought the lie of the devil that there's no way that that area in your life that you could ever really get clean there, that you could ever really get, get free there, that that could change? A cry of faith. Boy, he believed Jesus. You can do this. I know you can. But it's interesting to me that he prefaces that cry of faith with a statement that really makes, there was faith, there was a confidence, yes, you can do this, but there was also a cry of uncertainty. You see, the leper had no doubt in the ability of Jesus to make him clean. But he did doubt whether Jesus was willing to make him clean. He questioned whether Jesus loved him enough to do this work in his life. Do you know why? Why would this man, who says, I know, I know Jesus could do this, but why would he say, I don't know that Jesus really would want to do that for me? Why, why wasn't he confident in the love of Jesus for him? Because, friend, though this man had clearly heard of Jesus, and though even now he saw Jesus with his own eyes, he didn't know Jesus. And when you only know about Jesus, you cannot know his heart for you. You cannot fathom the intensity of his love for you. Because his love for you cannot be explained. It must be experienced. So if all you've ever experienced of Jesus is doctrine, academics, hearsay, discipline, black words on a page, then it doesn't take much for the devil to get you to think, maybe Jesus is willing to help others, but he probably wouldn't want to help me. There's something wrong with me. I'm different. If Jesus really knows everything about me, then there's a high likelihood that he probably doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Well, maybe he was willing to save me. That was very gracious of him. But now, no, I mean, I've still got these problems. My friend, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. We've seen an incurable problem. We've seen a desperate cry, but would you notice now a willing Savior? A willing Savior. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. In response to this desperate cry, Jesus says what he always says to those who desperately cry out to him for cleansing. He said, I will. It doesn't matter where you need cleansing today. Jesus says, I will. It doesn't matter how disqualified or how distant or how defiled you feel. If you'll humbly come to Jesus in dependence on him for cleansing, he says, I will every time. There's not one person to him that has ever come in humble faith for cleansing that he has turned away. Not one. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. 
Jesus always says, I will, to a desperate cry for cleansing. Notice here, he was willing to touch the untouchable. To touch the untouchable. And he put forth his hand and touched him. Think about that for a minute. The way that this text is written, it is intentionally emphasizing the action that Jesus is taking as he speaks these beautiful words, I will. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touches this filthy, disgusting, contagious, defiled, despised, rejected man. This was very likely the first time that this man had been touched by someone in years. Jesus didn't have to touch him in order to heal him, did he? No. He could have healed him just by speaking the word. He did that plenty of other times. But Jesus, in his compassion, in his love, in his tenderness, chose to reach out and touch this man who everyone else considered untouchable. We can sometimes envision God pushing away sinners because he's holy and he cannot be tainted by sin, and he certainly is. We almost look at it as if, as if he's standing on the other side of a stinking pile of trash that's between us, waiting for us to get cleaned up before he'll have anything to do, do with us. But that is not our God. That's not who he is. You might think I'm just too dirty. My mind is too defiled. A holy God would never want anything to do with me. Listen, God knows the things that I've said, the things that I've watched, the things that I've thought, the things that I've told others, the things that I've done. And he probably, he probably wants to stay as far away from me as possible. Young person, if you believe that lie of the devil, you don't truly know my Jesus. Because Jesus loves to touch the untouchable, to embrace those that everyone else would push away. That is who he is, the Savior of love who always says, I will. Willing to touch the untouchable, but also willing to cleanse the uncleansable. He says, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. What Jesus did in this moment was impossible. This couldn't be done. There is no cure for leprosy. There was no medicine that could cleanse him of this awful treat disease. There was no treatment that would stop the spread of the decay of his leprosy. But Jesus did because he is more than willing to cleanse the uncleansable. 1 John 1.9, we know it so well, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Oh, listen, young person, there is no sin too great for Jesus to cleanse. There's no stain too dark for Jesus to clear it away. There's no distance so great between your soul and the Savior for Jesus to make things right and bring you into that close relationship again. It doesn't matter how horribly you've treated your roommate. Jesus can cleanse you today. It doesn't matter how shameful and dark the pornography you've been involved in is. Jesus can cleanse you today. It doesn't matter that you've treated your parents or your siblings like trash. Jesus can cleanse you today. It doesn't matter that you've filled your heart and mind with lyrics or images or music that's defiled you. Jesus can cleanse you today. It doesn't matter that you've clung to your bitterness and anger for so long. As long as you can remember, Jesus can cleanse you today 
doesn't matter that your gossip or your critical spirit has already caused irreparable damage, friends. Jesus can cleanse you today. Maybe you've said no, no, no again and again and again. Friend, Jesus can cleanse you today. It's who he is. And do you notice what this cleansing looks like here? It says immediately the leprosy departed from him. Immediately. This cleansing isn't a process. It's not something you have to go through some long work of penance in order to be made clean. You don't have to prove yourself for 21 days before you're made clean. You don't have to go through a class to be made clean. This cleansing is a work, a miracle that Jesus does in an instant in your life. And he can do it for you today. Made clean. And it says here that the leprosy departed from him. That word literally means to go out of existence. So Jesus touched this leper and he spoke these simple, beautiful words, I will be thou clean, and the leprosy vanished. It was gone. The gaping sores that had covered his body, gone. The stinking decay of the flesh that clung to his members, gone. The suffocating stench of death, gone. When you come to Jesus in humble dependence, acknowledging your need, crying out for cleansing, he doesn't just take away some of your sin. He doesn't just make things a little bit better. He cleanses you completely, young person. Completely. Because my Jesus loves to cleanse the uncleansable, to take that which is defiled and filthy and make it something that is beautiful and pure and holy. That's who he is. The savior of love who always says, I will. Well, friends, Jesus is willing to touch the untouchable, to cleanse the uncleansable. But I think it is significant that Jesus doesn't stop there. It's instructive for us. There's more that he wants to do in your life than simply getting you clean. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to be free. He wants to use you. See, not only is Jesus willing to, to, to touch the untouchable and cleanse the uncleansable, he's willing to restore the unrestorable. Notice this verse 14. It says, And he charged him, Tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priests and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Remember, this man was an outcast. Everything in his life was broken. His family his friendships, his business, his communion with God. He no longer had purpose in life until Jesus came and touched him and cleansed him and restored him. Jesus sent him to walk through this process that Moses had laid out for someone who is considered unclean to be readmitted into normal society. Why? Because Jesus wanted to restore the unrestorable. He wants to restore those relationships that have been broken with God, with your siblings, with your parents, with your roommate. He wants to restore your vision, to give you a hunger and an expectation once again for what God could do through your life. He wants to restore your purpose to get you back on track to do what he made you to do. But you've got to be willing to go through the process of restoration. You see, cleansing happens in an instant, but entering into a life of freedom often requires a process. 
See, the leper wasn't a leper anymore. So he didn't have to go on living like a leper anymore. Everything was different now. He had been touched. He'd been cleansed. But if he was going to be able to go on from that day and live in freedom as a man who had been made clean, there was a process he needed to embrace. Jesus had done something miraculous in his life. But unless he took some practical biblical steps, he would still live like a leper. Because he couldn't, he couldn't be let back in until he went through this process. Now, it's not exactly the same when we're dealing with sin in our life, but I think it's, it's instructive that Jesus sent him to walk through a process. And listen, we get clean. Jesus makes us clean. But if we want to be restored, we've got to be, all right, Lord, what's the process to get restored? But there's a difference, I think, from this story. What I see, in, in, and I think this is, we, we could support this from other passages of Scripture. Jesus sent that leper to walk through that process. He said, Go. And walk through it. But, but when you and I, when it comes to learning to walk in a life of freedom, Jesus doesn't just cleanse us and send us on our way. He says, go walk through the process and I'll be with you all the way. Notice the process here. This is just interesting to me. He says, go. This is not the end. There are more steps that need to be taken. Action steps. Jesus did all the cleansing in that moment, but now he said, now there's some action steps that you need to take. Start moving your feet. You've got to move. It's still in that full surrender, Jesus. You're in charge of my freedom. But now there's steps to take. He said, show thyself to the priest. There are people that need to know. Listen, Jesus, Jesus can cleanse you in an instant today, but is there anybody who needs to know? Is there somebody who needs to know? Parent? A dean, pastor. I can remember for me that day when I finally had that conversation with my parents about my hidden sin. There was an absolute key in helping me not get clean. Jesus cleansed me, but it was a key in helping me to learn to live free. The life that God intended for me. And then it says here, and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded. For a testimony into them. There are inconvenient sometimes, costly sometimes steps that need to be taken to demonstrate the change that has happened, to renew your relationship with God, to heal your relationship with others, to guard yourself from going back to the bondage. Costly steps. This guy had been a leper. He had no income. Where's he going to get a sacrifice from? It may have cost him everything. But it was worth it to him because I said, I want, I, want to live in, I want to live as a free man. I want to live. I want to be restored. And sometimes we can look at the things and say, well, we need to have these safeguards. and We need to have these boundaries. We need to you know, be open and we need to be willing for the, whatever it is. When we're getting right, we say, boy, that is a lot to ask. Do I really have to do all that? No, you don't have to do all that. You don't. You don't have to do anything. But do you want to be free? Do you want to keep on living like you are? Like someone in bondage? Do you want to keep living like a leper? If you don't, you've got to embrace the process. 
See, my Jesus loves to restore the unrestorable, to use the unusable, to take that which had once been cast aside as hopeless and worthless and use them to do great things for him. That is who he is, the savior of love who always says, I will. Young people, listen, Jesus always says, I will, to the desperate cry for cleansing. So I'm asking you here this morning, Maybe you have a heart for God. Maybe you want to serve Him. You look good in so many ways, but you can hear the mocking cries in your soul unclean. You know the anger, the bitterness, the lust, the music, the rebellion, the viewing, the laziness, the critical spirit, the defilement that is choking the very life out of your heart for God, and you can't seem to shake it. I'm here just to tell you this morning, young person, you do not have to stay there because Jesus always says, I will to a desperate cry for cleansing.